This world belongs to us. This is Captain Ellis Pierce, the Earth Alliance Starship Hyperion. We are assuming control over this situation. Captain, what the hell do you think you're doing? What are you going to do, shoot us down? Worst case of testosterone poisoning I've ever seen. Hello, and welcome to Who Are You? It's a Babylon 5 watchcast by a couple of new friends who are getting to know each other over the show, Babylon 5. I am Laura. And I'm Jafer. And today I get to ask Jafer, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? Well, this is a, a fun one I've been kind of waiting to bring up. Uh, because this is like, this is the thing that when people that I've known for a couple of years, but not a very long time, this is like one of the things they find out about my past. That is like a, a signifier of like, oh, well, I, I know things about this person that are kind of embarrassing now. <laughs> this is a great setup, by the way. Thank you. Um, I thought about this. So I, for a number of years played bass <laughs> in a grunge band. <laughs> a grunge band huh yep yep we yep i was a i was a grunge rocker i played bass in this band for about five years we played probably around 80 to 100 shows you have a recorded clip right for us to play in here <laughs> uh we have a couple of eps and a full album all right you're gonna have um, to send me some files <laughs> um <laughs> I have them somewhere. I I definitely mm. have them stashed somewhere. I've got I've still got like the master recordings from our studio album somewhere stashed, archived <laughs> on a hard drive somewhere. I promise. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, I played bass in a grunge band for a long time. I'm happy that flannel is back in uh, mm. because I own a ton, and I've <laughs> always worn it tied around my waist as is my right. <laughs> if you just hang on to these things long enough, they will come back. You know. Yeah, like I've been tying flannel around my waist for. Well, let's see. The band, we would have gotten together. We started my senior year of high school. Okay. So I'm not going to date myself too much. But I it's been almost guess. 20 years uh -huh. since we started. And uh, we started just kind of like doing covers and stuff. And then we started making our own music. So we were we were grunge rockers in the early 2000s when grunge was not popular. For those of you trying to do math in your head right now. <laughs> I um, don't know. It was It was popular with those of us who were too young when it was popular. Yeah. to really partake in it. So then we kind of had a comeback phase in the early 2000s. That's the way I see it. Yeah, we had all kinds of fun stuff. We opened every show with the same song and we closed every show with the same song. And our opening song was based off of Gustav Holst's Mars. Yeah, great. it makes for a great grunge rock song. Uh, I could, I could picture it. You know, we've played 
all kinds of shows. Like I said, I said we played, you know, like 80 to 100 shows or something. I don't even know how to begin to count how many. It was a lot of time just driving around the state. And we don't think we ever played outside of Michigan. Wow. Um, but we were friends with another of other bands in the state. So I've had bands like come play house shows in my apartment in college. No, no one super famous, uh, but if you are in the Detroit area and you're familiar with Dave and Chuck the Freak, the guys who do the Friday Bitches song, literally <laughs> played a show in my apartment. That's that's a fun little fact for you all. Nice. Yeah. So it's just been a fun experience and my experience with music instead of deciding to study it because I was classically trained. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the phonium for right. ever on with about 13 other different instruments I picked up here and there over the years. But yeah, that's that's where my music ended up taking me for a while. And it, what started as a reason. So when you are a band playing at a shitty venue, uh, you typically get a wristband like, you know, like you get a wristband when you come in right for your, sure. like, your over 21s. Uh-huh. You get a different colored wristbands, which gives you discounted drinks at the bar. OK, that seems like a good standard. Sure. And so that was fun. But what it led to is a couple of my other friends wanting to get those and also being musicians. Uh-huh. And so we would always kind of dick around and jam together and stuff. And that led to the formation of the Manhattan Side Project, which was two people from the grunge band and a number of my other friends, including both of my former podcasting partners, Ben and Chris from Draft the Universe, were members at one point. It was kind of like a gag, like you just play a show and you're a member of the band. And like we counted up to like 20 band members or something at one point, you know, just like get them their drink coupons and get them into the show for free. And also having our own opening act was also a boon for venues because yeah. like smaller venues it's like you book one or two bands a night we're like well we have an opener that will come with us and they're just like oh sweet that's one <laughs> less i don't have to find someone to agree yeah. to be the opening <laughs> band that night because no one no one likes the opening band if you listen to i don't know how but they found me so that was a fun little thing and the manhattan side project ended up outliving the other band as it should <laughs> as it should and uh the manhattan side project will write again i'm sure at some point we'll make some more music together it's been on hiatus for a little bit Mm -hmm. well you know it's it's best not to get a 20 person band together right now (laughs) true i mean it would be a couple of people i don't think we ever had 20 people at once i think the biggest the band ever was was five or six on stage at the same time ranging from our buddy came up and played a song on jaw harp with us you know like (laughs) that counts he's in the band he played a gig with us so yeah you know it Ranging from that to playing every song at every show. Yeah. Which I think only Chris and I have the distinction of having played every every show for the, the band. Sure. I've played all kinds of random stuff for that band. I would like take it as a challenge for myself sometimes. Like I did a show where I played a different instrument for every song. Oof. And it just fucking around we did uh the the cover it was all covers for Mm -hmm. that band and we just tried to find the most random stuff to cover we had a set list which had system of a down spiders oh yeah Um, nice i played a bazooki on that which is a greek mandolin Mm -hmm. uh, that's naturally tuned in drop c also fun fact bazooki where surfer rock comes from oh i think we've we've had that discussion we we had that discussion okay i won't go on that tirade (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I played Jugs for a song, I think, in that set list. I think we we uh, covered Wagon Wheel a ton. That's fun. Um, 
the old Crow Medicine show original. Yeah. Well, original. It's a Bob Dylan song almost. Yeah. You know, and then we'd also do stuff like Old Dirty Bastard and, you know, like So Cold in the D and all kinds of, uh, like whenever there was like a viral meme song, mm-hmm. we would, we would struggle <laughs> and learn it really quick. So like we've done like smell your dick and stuff, all kinds of, <laughs> we just had a lot of fun with it. That's how our generation communicates. Yes. The memes. The memes. <laughs> well, do we have a very memeable episode today? What do you oh, think? Oh, that's a much better transition than what I was going to do, um, which was speaking <laughs> of having some fun with it because um, this episode was not fun. Oh, really? You didn't enjoy the like breakneck speed racing through everything? After the slog of the first one, not particularly. <laughs> I Spoilers, this is not getting a Babylon 3 out of 5. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> that is spoilers, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actual spoilers. Spoilers for an hour from now. <laughs> the podcast, yes. <laughs> But before we get to that, we'll, let's talk about season one, episode 20, A Voice in the Wilderness, part two. Yeah, we, uh, get, a, we get one of those little recaps and then we mm-hmm. end on the holy shit moment that we left off at that was something big is coming through the jump gate. Yep. And now we find out that it's the Earth Alliance starship Hyperion. Captained by Ron Canada. Oh my God, I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> Obviously now. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, fun fact from the Usenets, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, the reveal of the ship was teased beforehand because it was named for Hyperion.com, which was the original home of the Babylon 5 Internet Archive, hmm. which was at the time of Babylon 5 production basically the biggest Babylon 5 fan site on the internet. Oh, yeah. We haven't had much, like, internet or uh, show yet at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the ship was named after the website that hosted. Yeah. Okay. That makes it, sense. That is confirmed by JMS. It's not conjecture. And it is the very site I currently use to read JMS's Usenet notes collected by their episodes in the Lurker's Guide section of the Internet Archive. It's hosted on a different website now. It's on um, midwinter.net, but that is where I go for all of my research, as was called out in a fan letter recently that we'll get to when we do our next mailbag segment. Yeah. Also of note, the Hyperion looks different than all of the other Earth ships because it's one of the very few to survive the Earth-Mimbari War and is old. Oh, so it's it's been in service a while. Yeah. Yeah, it... There's no spinning section on this one like we see on all the other Earth ships. Okay. It is not because it is more advanced. It's because it does not have it's artificial gravity. Well, that explains why every time we see Ron Canada, he is strapped in. It seems like you can see mm-hmm. his little strappies. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So the captain calls up and we find out that Ron Canada is named Ellis Pierce here. Mm-hmm. And he's declared that he's taking control of this situation. He comes on board. And we find the alien from Epsilon 3 is slowly stabilizing for Dr. Franklin, but it's not conscious yet. Mm -hmm. And then Sinclair and Pierce talk about Pierce's orders to make sure that Earth and Earth alone gets dibs on the technology from the planet below and to defend it and the station if needed. Yeah. And Pierce says that he got his orders from the Office of Planetary Security, Mm -hmm. which I, uh, 
I was like, wow, that was prescient, wasn't it? Because later <laughs> we got our Office of Homeland Security here in the United States. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Pierce asks about the prisoner and Sinclair responds about the patient. I really yeah. liked, I really liked that subtle kind of like, because Pierce is all like, what's the status of the prisoner? You know, yeah. he's like very intent with it. And it's all like, the patient is not conscious. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with you, dude? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, they came in here really fast, too, because we didn't see the great machine until like five minutes from the end of the episode or something. You know, it was a very yeah. fast time. And somehow in that time, news got back to Earth. The Office of Planetary Security sent this ship. And I think he mentions they were diverted from somewhere like they. Yeah, they, they were close. Nearby. There's actually a little bit because someone complained about this. And so JMS <laughs> addressed it on Usenet. It was all like, no, they sent the initial report. And they immediately redirected the closest ship, which happened to yeah. be like a jump away. Yeah. Yeah. They they did address that. And I thought, oh, okay, okay. But they they made some assumptions about this machine really quick. They did. Sinclair's really unhappy that he is there. And he remarks that no one had uh, any idea what was happening here until you showed up with your giant spaceship, your giant warship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he promises Ron Canada that his stay is going to be brief. We cut to Garibaldi at the bar, drinking water again, mm-hmm. and watching the news about Mars. Uh, there's some others at the bar voicing uh, less than sympathetic opinions. Like my granddad used to say, nuke them till they glow and shoot them in the dark. <laughs> I put... Uh, an ignorant fool offers several loud opinions is how I wrote it. <laughs> uh, I wrote, oops, all white guys. So close enough. Um, <laughs> like it. This uh, pushes an already on edge Garibaldi to do the magic trick bit from the Dark Knight. How about a magic trick? I put that Garibaldi almost walks away, but instead commits police brutality. Again. Again. <laughs> <sighs> Meanwhile, it must be Hidoshi's turn again as the senator. Because him and Sinclair are talking about Pierce taking command of the station. Hidoshi tells the commander, who threatens to resign over this, mm-hmm. and that his authority in the sector was granted by President Santiago and isn't overridden by whoever issued Pierce's orders. Sinclair thinks he's going to get a moment of rest and begins to take off his jacket as if Vonover rings him, he's needed in CNC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes to CNC, and mm-hmm. she explains that the Hyperion is launching a wing of Star Furies to go down to Epsilon 3. And I just want to take a second and be a pedant here because didn't she say that Star Furies were ineffective in atmosphere? Yes, She said that last episode. So why would you send those, Pierce? Well, that's a good question. I don't think they show us the Star Furies. Yeah, and I don't think they ever go all the way down. But they, they don't make it down. I know that I believe in later seasons, there is a newer star fury that arrives in Babylon five that can go into atmospheres. Mm, yeah, that would they've be got a, They've got a little it? bit of a different design. They've kind of got like a big old nose on them. Mm-hmm. But that's a thing that I don't know, remember how much later that comes along, but yeah. it might be that they have the new the new new. Yeah, regardless, the planet's defense system does not let them get down there. No. So as they're being shot at, Sinclair angrily gets Pierce on the TV and tells him that he doesn't have the jamming device that he needs to get through this defense grid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clearly lying, you know, just to try to 
by themselves sometime. Yeah, fine. If it's just like, well, what? We don't have one of those. And we get, anyways, the planet is going to explode. Yeah, everything that happened last episode has gotten worse since the alien left the Great Machine. And the station is just fucked because, simply because it can't move out of the way. Yeah. So Sinclair, Ivanova, Garibaldi talk it over. They have confirmed that Epsilon 3 has a series of massive fusion reactors that are going toward critical. And I'm wondering who the survey team was that missed a bunch of massive fusion reactors. But anyway, they discussed the possibility of evacuating. They, they think it would take three to five days to evacuate. Mm-hmm. And we do get the countdown of 48 hours before the planet explodes. Yeah. So we don't have enough time. And also evacuating a space station where everyone is trapped is going to be a totally peaceful process that nothing is going to go wrong and no one is certainly going to die. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So with evacuation not an option, Pierce is just saying that this is another reason to go down to the planet. And Ivanova is of the opinion that this will just escalate. And it's another trap set to prevent the misuse that started last time if they try to go down to the surface. And she thinks it's just going to accelerate the destruction of the planet. Yeah. Sinclair decides to wait 12 hours. See if the patient comes back to and they can have him resume control of the machine to end all this. Mm-hmm. Or if they can come up with another solution. Right. Just buy your time. I get it. That's a strategy I use a bit. Uh, Wando corners Ivanova leaving the meeting to ask about the situation. He wants to be cut in. He recounts the whole plot as rumors that he's heard. Uh Can I just say the chain is so good? He reminds her that the Centauri helped pay for the station. And hence, our do a share of whatever was found on the planet. And she's just all like, boom today. <laughs> it's boom, baby. The ghost of a Christmas past comes to visit Troll while he's walking with Delenn. Yeah. And they just head off to look for him, which is very mm-hmm. Mimbari of them. Yeah. Just like, oh, a thing. Let's go help him. Yeah. I wanted to take a pause here for a second. And yeah. I wanted to, to discuss. So the... The Epsilon 3 alien, he's now called out to three different characters that are on the station, right? Mm-hmm. And two of whom we have hypothesized have some kind of divine purpose. You mentioned last time that Drawl had big true seeker vibes. Yeah. And we thought, you know, Sinclair also has some true seeker vibes. The third one is Londo, mm-hmm. who doesn't exactly emit true seeker vibes, does he? He doesn't. Um, Drawl actually addresses this later uh-huh. in the episode. Yeah. And I would tend to agree. It's the three sentients most likely to self-sacrifice. And I think it's interesting because the way we see Londo in season one has been, you know, that he's down and out kind of. He's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and even in this episode, he's reliving his glory days a little bit. But yeah. all the glory days are behind him. Right. That's how he feels about himself. Yeah, And he's nothing but a party boy now, spending all his money at the casinos and spending other people's money on drinks. And it's interesting that that Drawl says what he does about Londo and that this alien has identified him in this way, that he thinks that he would self-sacrifice for a bigger cause. Because mm-hmm. that's not who we've seen of Londo yet, really. Yeah, I think it's, it's very telling about his character. Mm-hmm. But... Also interesting in the context of what happens later in the show, mm-hmm. which I won't get into because yeah. spoiler town, but it's something to remember 
Yeah, you need to remember this. This is good facts. Sinclair goes to check on Garibaldi in his quarters. He asks him about his Heath Ledger cosplay and how it's coming. I was going to say he was consuming the traditional takeout pizza of brooding uncertainty. (laughs) (laughs) Garibaldi explains to Sinclair that he hasn't reached out to Lisa because of fear, afraid of basically every possible outcome. It doesn't really matter what happens. He doesn't like any of them. Yeah, he likes just living in that. If I don't open the store and find out, then nothing will close to me. It's always open. It's always available if I don't have any certainty on it. This mindset is absurd and drives me crazy. (laughs) Same. (laughs) But I I must admit that I can identify when I'm doing it myself sometimes. I'm sure there's times I miss it, but there's there's times that it's like, oh, I haven't pulled the trigger on this because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very interesting. But it's very interesting to watch in Garibaldi because he says that he's afraid that she may have moved on. She may not have moved on. And then he'll have to deal with that. He's, he can't mm-hmm. handle it. He wants to be stuck. Yep. Sinclair's like, hey, I know I'm, I want some favors from some people in, in the higher ups on Mars. I am going to get you your channel. Like, worry about this crisis right now. But like, I will get a hold of someone who can get a hold of whoever. Just be patient while it happens. Mm -hmm. And he says, but you have to do something for me. If we have to evacuate the station, there's no way we can get everyone out in two days when we need three to five. Make sure Ivanova gets out. Mm -hmm. Garibaldi promises that even if he has to drug her, he will get her on a transport. Throw her on the last shuttle. Yeah. Yeah. We cut over to MedLab and Troll arrives. And the alien who got a name that starts with a V, but I don't, I didn't write it down and they only said it once. And it was really, usually when they do this, you hear it again later. Did you write it down? Well, so when we were looking at the bookshelf the other day, I found this little beauty. This is the A to Z guide to Babylon 5. What? (laughs) And I uh, am uh, baffled to report that it only goes through, not through season three. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's through season three and a half. Like it doesn't go all the way through season yeah. four. But who wrote that? David Bassam. Hmm. It's definitely not complete. But according to the A to Z guide to Babylon 5, our alien does have a name that starts with a V and it is Varn. Varn. I wonder yes. if that's what the book I just found while going through a used bookstore I found the season guides to Babylon 5 here. I didn't didn't even think to check it. Um, Yeah, yours are much more complete than mine. (laughs) I've got one book for every season, but they're not large. They're not. I see Varn. All right. Captain Ellis Pierce, Ron Canada. It does have all (laughs) the actors in here, too, which is going to be nice. Yeah, this one does mention the actors. And I do want to pause and take a second and point out the actor on Varn, even though... (laughs) As an alien for me, he wasn't super memorable. I Googled all the the actors except Ron Canada, apparently. Um, (laughs) And Kurt Lowens is the actor for Varn. Mm -hmm. And he was a Jewish Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. And he helped rescue another 150 Jewish children during the Holocaust. Like he... That's uh, a lot of people to save. Yeah. That's insane. He was part of this network that because of his father's connections, like he and his mother got hidden 
in separate families, like none of them could be in the same place. They had to hide mm -hmm. in separate places. But the family he was with, they were part of this network and they helped smuggle out 150 children. He moved to the United States after the war. He and his family got to move to the United States. And he was 22. So he was a very young person. Wow. Uh, during that time. And I think he was born in 1925. So the first chunk of his life developmentally, he's living with the threat of Nazis and then in hiding and then smuggling other people into hiding and out of Nazi territory. And then he moves to the United States and becomes an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in a lot of stuff. He had a lot of credits. I was a, a little disappointed. I was like, oh, well, he's covered in makeup and you have no idea who he is in this show. But yeah, he did a great job. So in MedLab, Varun and Drawl are talking. And the uh, Varun warns that they can't go down to the planet without someone in the great machine. But Pierce is going down anyways, because fuck it. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't can't trust these snakeheads. Pierce don't care. It's not like Sinclair's going to shoot him down. What are you going to do? Shoot us? Oh. Yeah, that, that was pretty badass. I am never interested in playing poker with the commander nope pierce does angrily back down mm -hmm. canceling the launch but immediately afterward we get another large ship coming through the gump gate my name's forrest forrest gump jump gate <laughs> <laughs> and it fires a beam at the station and the hyperion yep and it is scanning the station and accessing language files they determine immediately and they get a hail, and it's the same species as the alien from The Great Machine. And in a very broken, but very impressive, given it's been like 30 seconds English. Right. <laughs> to tell the station they've been searching for this planet for 500 years. They have 10 hours to move the station. Yeah. And then they're taking the planet back. <laughs> and Pierce says, oh, well, you have nine hours to get out of my territory. <laughs> <laughs> Ivanova, like, really quick, just cuts in worst case of testosterone poisoning I've ever seen. Just sneaks that jab in real quick in between scenes uh, before we jump back to med lab, where Varn, now awake, confirms that they are violent outcasts and cannot be given the great machine. Varn has waited patiently for this long, observing and as Sinclair to not turn the great machine over to these other aliens. Uh, he then passes out before resolving the plot. Yeah. Very inconvenient. <laughs> this episode could have been done 20 minutes earlier if he had just said a couple more lines. But yeah. It's not what we get. I got a question for you. Yeah. I had in my head, just from past memories of the show, that the great machine was something like first one technology. But these aliens don't seem like first ones, right? They don't seem like first ones, no. They've been around but a long time. But it might be first one technology. They might be caretaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they might we have inherited it. Or yeah. they were in charge of... Maybe they lived on the planet while the Great Machine was built. And I don't think so. Well, they no. might have... I think they were relocated to the planet. Mm, okay. Um, okay. Because it, it is not a coincidence that the Great Machine is where Babylon 5 is. Right. Which we, we will yeah. see more of that later. Yeah, that's... <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I, I always thought in my head, this is first ones. But then these aliens were saying it was theirs. Mm, maybe it wasn't 
there's yeah i think they were caretaking or overseeing it for some first ones because this seems pretty pretty crazy technology wise Mm -hmm. Uh, franklin notes that varn is dying has been dying for a while and this likely coincides with the quake starting on epsilon 3 and then we cut to sinclair talking to delenn and draw who find out they shared their visions and they're asking for help sinclair updates our countdown eight hours until the violence starts yeah Uh, Drawn knows what must be done when Lando walks in. Yeah, the the Lennon draw both understand what what Varn meant when he spoke of another. Mm-hmm. Lando accuses Delenn of holding out on him. Yeah. So we're gonna get more Lando now. Pierce calls on the TV. We mm-hmm. find out that they're both being jammed and no one can call back to Earth. Can't get any support. Pierce suggests that we need to strike now and strike hard on the other ship, both the Hyperion and the station. And Seclair doesn't really have another choice, so he agrees. We cut back to Londo in the gardens explaining to Delenn and Drawl that Varn also appeared to him. Drawl then hypothesizes, as we talked about earlier, that the three of them were chosen because of their familiarity with the third principle of sentient life. <laughs> Self-sacrifice. Drawl urges Londo that he can be of great service if he is willing to dare greatly. Mm-hmm. That's the line that I thought was very significant. Yes. Uh, I, I highlighted that when I wrote that down. <laughs> yeah, and Wando's in. He notes the daring days of his youth. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about the raids he conducted and everything, and he's just like, I'm here for it. Let's go. Yeah. As a young and foolish centauri, I swore that I would die on my feet doing something noble and brave and futile. Which, given his uh, premonitions he've ha- he's had about his death, is interesting. Well, I mean, maybe that's why. I, I'd i rather die doing something noble, brave, and futile than the way I think I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he sees it as that. Maybe he before he knew who Jakar was. Yeah. You know, Good there's point. all kinds of insight there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they decide to go to the surface. They take a shuttle out, and the other aliens are pissed, and the fight breaks out in space. Ivanova calls Lando out on his drunk driving to commercial, Um, (laughs) which he's got to be drunk right now, right? Like, I mean, I haven't seen him hold a drink in maybe two or three scenes, but given the other parts of this episode and the slow time frame that most of it's been moving in, he has to be loaded. I just assume that for like 75% of the season, he's had to be drunk, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, Garibaldi tries to head out after them. Because all he knows is that this, they don't, for some reason, they don't know who this Centauri ship belongs to, but they know that Varn has been kidnapped from MedLab. And yeah. Garibaldi heads down there. The Centauri ship heads for the planet. Garibaldi goes after them, not knowing who's in the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a bit of the space battle. They're talking about positioning the batteries and stuff, as such as the ambassadors land and just walk right through all the traps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we, and- we can cut those for time. <laughs> At 3208, we get this terrible CGI shot of them walking across the bridge. Oh, yeah. And the animation on the walking, like, Londo is just, like, ridiculous. Yeah. The the CGI in these two episodes, we haven't harped on it much because I think we're being pretty, you know, cognizant of when the show was made and what the limitations were. But this one was particularly <sighs> bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least season two, I think it's going to ramp up. I yeah. remember. As the battle continues, Garibaldi catches up with everyone in the heart of the great machine. 
where the implied is made explicit. Draw will take Vard's place in the great machine and manage it. Uh, the battle continues until Drawl places the planet under control of the Advisory Council of Babylon 5. Appears to everyone is just like, knock this off. None of you get it. It's too yeah. powerful for any of you to have. It's here for when you need it and not for any time before then. Fuck off. And, and I the, decide when you need it. Right. And the other <laughs> aliens are like, well, we're taking it to our planet. And they go down and just get blown up immediately. Yeah. So they're, the other aliens are gone. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. We don't have to resolve that in any way. Back on Epsilon 3, Londo and Garibaldi tell the land that she needs, it's time to go. She asks Varn to watch over Drawl, mm-hmm. but Drawl, you know, Varn says he has a few days left, but he, that he will. She begs him to tell her that it's a wonder so that she doesn't have to feel worried or sad yeah. for Drawl. He tells her that the machine will extend Drawl's life. He will see all of the tomorrows and hear all of the songs. And his thoughts will touch the edge of the universe. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's comforting, right? If you're, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why we have afterlife ideas, isn't it? Because, and I'm not trying to make any disparagements to people's religion, but it serves an important function for our brains, doesn't it? To believe in an afterlife, to believe that, you know, we might see the person again and we don't have to. We will grieve, but we don't have to grieve as hard because nothing is forever if you have these ideas in your brain. And uh, it's important. And it's important for Delenn, too. Pierce, after the jamming signals are gone, Pierce confirms the president's order per Sinclair. He has full authority over the sector and the station, and Pierce apologizes to the commander. Then the Hyperion leaves, and the connection to Mars finally comes through. Yeah. And for Sinclair's just like, hey, I'm going to patch you in, but if you want to talk later, bro, just know I'm here for you. He's yeah. just like, okay, whatever. Let me talk to Lisa. That Why was, would you warn me? <laughs> you should have just told him what was up. My God, right. you shouldn't have done it that way, in my opinion. But that's I mean, fine. it's not his news to tell. Yeah, okay. But uh, Garibaldi and Lisa talk. He wants to work it out. And Lisa tells him she's not only married, but also pregnant. Yeah. She's expecting a baby. Mm-hmm. Garibaldi is crushed. He says, congratulations. And I'm really sorry we don't get to see the rest of that awkward conversation. <laughs> like, what do you say after that? Like, probably well, not a whole lot. Good luck on the revolution on Mars. Stay safe. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's so hard. So what's the, what's his name do? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, are you still feeling any morning sickness <laughs> there's no good conversation to have there no no we cut to the <laughs> finding garibaldi in the observation deck i see you come here also to lose yourself into stars garibaldi asks her why she didn't inform anyone of what she and drawl had learned and what they were doing and she says that if she had she knows that sinclair would have tried to make the sacrifice instead and he has a destiny that lies elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it makes more sense for Drawl to make the sacrifice. He's, he's wiser. He's older, so he has less years left. And, and he wanted to go out to sea. So, yeah. really, they it made their, sense. The call they made made sense. Garibaldi asked her how she got Londo to go along with this. A fair question. Indeed. <laughs> From what we know of Londo. 
And she says that Londo enjoyed himself and awakened a part of him that he had buried long ago. Mm-hmm. Plus, she owes him a favor. Yeah. <laughs> Garibaldi also tells her that some things are better left buried. So, what'd you think <laughs> of this two-parter on a scale of Babylon's one to five? One to five. I think I'm kinder on these two episodes than you are. Well, I've been... I'm letting you go first for a reason. <laughs> yeah, because these are in three territory for me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of issues with how fast everything moves and it cuts back and forth and the CGI seemed seemed rushed. I I really liked the story overall. Pacing of it could have been a little better, I think, but I'm glad we get to see the great machine now. Now we have that device in play for the future. I really thought... <laughs> for some reason that Zathras was going to be in this episode or these not two the, episodes. Not the one. Not 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 the not one the episode. One. <laughs> Next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I wanted Zathras. That's why I was really looking forward to these episodes. <laughs> I thought we're there and then they didn't it didn't happen. Nope, not yet. <laughs> I did not like these episodes. Mm, are these your ones? These are these are one this is a one for me. This two-parter. I, I will air my complaints. Do it. One, where's the B plot? Mm. You're going to fill this two hours of terrible paced nonsense with no B plot. You could have even just thrown a minor one into the first episode just to improve the pacing there. I mean, is Mars the B plot? Garibaldi trying to reach out to Mars? I guess. Yeah, maybe the the scale isn't quite there. 45 seconds of the two-part episode maybe yeah. but yeah i guess i guess mars might be the b-plot the fact that it's even a question <laughs> it's hard to consider mars the b-plot because it is so hands-off like we yeah. don't have a we don't have a character on mars like we don't have a setting on mars we have no idea what mars looks like except for that one like frame of the mm-hmm. isn reporter who was standing in front of a wall yeah so I get it. We we can't really identify with the Mars plot yet. Yeah. Two, Ron Canada is an asshole <laughs> in this show. Personally, I don't know him to speak to his personality. Right. Um, but the character, Ellis Pierce, is just a completely irredeemable, uh, I mean, jarhead's the term for Marines. I don't know what the, he's just yeah. like, uh, like, he's just, completely up his own ass about everything he comes yeah. in thinks he's in charge acts like he in charge makes all the wrong decisions and then leaves with a half-assed apology this season has really set us up for adversarial confrontations all the time with earth force with yeah outside of our command staff everybody seems to stop yeah i try not to give the cgi too much shit in this show but mm-hmm. it is at its worst in this episode you mentioned in the previous episode that jms wrote this when he was very sick he yeah. doesn't really remember it right yeah does that mean that or do we think that that might mean that the whole production of the whole Suffered set of episodes like like were they were they rushed for the whole process possibly you think like if he missed it i don't want to say he missed a deadline but you know if if they were on a jam tight schedule and he writes this, and then they're like, I don't know how to get this CGI in there with very good quality, you know? Mm-hmm. 
there's only two good things about these episodes. And that's the two minutes of Ivanova's dialogue <laughs> is excellent, but she's barely in these. Yeah. Yeah. For no reason. She, uh, she yeah, like, yeah. honestly, she could offer insight into the, uh, the Mimari tenets of self-sacrifice and make a good crack there. Oh that, yeah. That would fit in well with her character. She, you know, has skills as a pilot. She's probably the most badass pilot on the station. Um, yeah, I mean, I she mean went, you yeah. want to throw Wando that, but you're going to tell me the three sentients most capable of self-sacrifice don't involve her. Yeah, like, I did. I felt the same way about Delenn. I was like, really, we're not going to throw Delenn a bone here because she's yeah. a pretty self-sacrificing character. But OK, I would agree, too. <laughs> and so it's just like. Londo, I guess, but it just felt forced to give Peter Jurassic something to do, which he had fun with, clearly, mm -hmm. in his drunk driving scene. And the other was the music. The music was really good in this two-part. There was lots of new music, lots of sweeping mm -hmm. score and stuff. When they see the great machine and the score swells, the, 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 that was all great. It really moved things. I noticed how it moved the scenes along. But it will, they needed it. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so bad. Just the plot is ridiculous just the fact that you would miss this without any lip service to like well it was cloaking itself or something like just give us a little bit more there mm -hmm. because missing this whole thing seems absurd right like you wouldn't do a tectonic scan of the planet to see if it's going to fall apart before you spend two years building a space station outside of it right i agree like i figured there was even a chance of that if the tectonic plates look like they possibly could at and some point, you just don't. You pick another uninhabited planet. That's there's something plenty too, of them. That that's a thing too that, like you're saying, could be fixed with one or two lines of dialogue. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that I just can't forgive from yeah. this show. Yeah, of all shows, this show I can't give it that mm -hmm. benefit of the doubt because this is the show. Or that's the thing that isn't true. This is the show that's completely thought out. This is the show that's so well written that another show I could, oh, well, you know, I guess if they included those two lines of dialogue in that episode of Discovery or something, it could have been a little better. But, you know, it's Discovery. You can't say that about Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, or whatever show you happen to be enjoying at the moment. I'm, I'd watch, I'm watching Picard right now. So I'm like, oh, you know, that could have been a fun little thing, but whatever. Yeah, no, this is a stinker. Both parts didn't like it. One out of five. <laughs> I love that we have such diverse opinions on these. <laughs> it's great. There's... I can't give everyone a three out of five. <laughs> well, I, that's that's how I felt too when I was like, well, here's my stinker for the yeah for the season because it just hit me different, you know. Mm -hmm. And also, I know going into the next episode that it is one of my favorites. Yeah, me too. And so <laughs> I'm like. I'm excited and I'm almost just upset that this episode made me sit through its two parts to get to the next one, <laughs> knowing what's coming. And I don't, I'll, I'll hold that against an episode. I don't give a fuck. Do what, what I do you, want. Well, why don't you tell us what that next episode that we're so excited about is? Season one, episode 21, Babylon Squared. <laughs> when Babylon 4 mysteriously reappears after four years in a violent time warp, Sinclair and Garibaldi lead a rescue team to help evacuate the crew before the station disappears again. I love this episode. I love this woman! This episode is so good. Me too. 
<laughs> so excited. I'm going to sit down and watch it probably a couple of times. We've we watched it once, but it was very late at night. This is not a mark of quality on the episode at all, listener. But my husband started to fall asleep, not because it was boring, because it was very late and we are very tired people. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to make him watch it again. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I'm so excited to watch it that Beth, who has not watched any of this show with me yet, is all like, can I start at the next one? Will it make sense? Because I know you're excited to watch this one. And I'm just all like, it probably won't, but I'm not yeah. entirely certain because honestly, the whole series is kind of just one thing in my brain these days. Just have her listen to all the episodes of our pod and she'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> she could. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that next time. Me too. Thank you for our theme music, Jeremy Siegel. He's at jeremysegel42.bandcamp.com. The art from our podcast comes from Angry Duck Time Machine. You got it. On Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you put all the words together. Congratulations. I did it. <laughs> da, da, da. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, upset at me hating this episode, want to talk about how awesome Babylon Squared is, add to our mailbag and we'll read it on the air. Uh, feel mm -hmm. free to email us at whoareyoub5 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Who Are You Watchcast page on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And we'd love to to see you there and share your memes. Yes, we love the memes. Thank you. <laughs> they, they give me life. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next time. See you next week, Internet. Mm -hmm.